Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everybody, this is Larry the Cable Guy. Check this out. So I'm in my truck driving with my buddy, and we was heading up to the men's warehouse to fart in the souks, and he's listening to his phone. I said, that sounds like Hermie Sadler. He said, it is Hermie Sadler. He's got a podcast called Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I said, Sadler and the Senator? He said, yeah, that's his good buddy, Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I said, well, what in the world? He didn't know this. I said, did you know that Hermie Sadler was voted one of the 50 best-looking drivers in NASCAR? He said, I did not know that. I said, because it ain't true. (laughs) You never know, though. He never takes off his helmet. But I know one thing. This show, Leaning Right, Turning Left, is good. So pull up a chair right there by your phone, get yourself a cold beer, and give a listen right here to this week's episode of Leaning Right, Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'll tell you what, I bet Michael Waltrip's even listening. He's always wanted to do something like that. Oh, Sadler, got another one over on Waltrip. Get her done! I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst, Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. Leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator is back, powered by Pacematic. Hermie Sadler, what are you doing, buddy? William! <sighs> Thank you for coming to Richmond. I don't think I could travel. They tell me Richmond is, over the last couple of days and weeks, especially since I've seen you, has been a very interesting place. It has been very interesting um, to say. We have just hit crossover on Fat Tuesday, so it was Fat Crossover. Um, we got all our bills out of the Senate that we're going to get out. We got all the bills from the House out to come over to us. And now the real work begins because you have to start over. Crossover is basically... In Virginia politics, we have a 60-day session. We consider it thousands of bills so quickly, and, and sometimes we don't give it the look that it should have. But that's why we have a two-tiered system in the legislative process. We have the House and the Senate. So what we consider goes over there for them to consider. What they consider comes over for us to consider. And the first day of cro- after crossover, we've seen a lot of Democrats controlling both chambers, killing their own bills. Uh, but we had quite a number that crossed over. So. 
of 2,270 bills and resolutions that were introduced this year, uh, 1,010 passed in the House and 637 in the Senate. So they're going to have a light load compared to what we've got coming. But a lot of these bills are very partisan. It's amazing what the Democrats are doing. It's, uh, you know, in, in politics right now, we're at 5149 in the House, controlled by the Democrats. Speaker Don Scott, Democrat, been controlling his House as best he can. Over there, we're 2119. We've got Winsome Sears, the president of the Senate. We've had, you know, good discussions, We've we, but we've watched a lot of bills on 2119 going out along party line votes. I did hear she finally got to break one tie. She she broke a tie actually on a on a bill that you and I would be concerned about, which is uh, a lot of property owners are trying to say that the historic uh, hunting with dogs, that if dogs are released and released on lands that they have permission on and they cross into the lands that they didn't have permission to hunt on, that somehow that was a crime. And so that ended like up they tw- think the dogs can see the signs. <laughs> Just asking. <laughs> my my wife Laura believes that my dogs can read, but right. but most of these dogs can't. You know they're uh, they're hound dogs, and they cross over. They're following a scent. They're not following yeah. property lines. Right. Uh, and so, you know, usually we have a right to retrieve here. That's the law here. So you can go into that property to retrieve your own property. Mm-hmm. It's the same as if you know you and I live next door to each other, and my kid throws a basketball and it bounces into your property. He's right to go over. He's not trespassing. He can get his own property and come back. Same thing for dogs. So this bill was going to actually, and it was proposed by a guy from Northern Virginia who probably doesn't even know what this is. Mm-hmm. Dave Marsden. I like him very much. Love him to death. But he was, but. He was then <laughs> trying to eliminate, as he did fox pens, he's trying to always eliminate this historical hunting on property rights because it has something to do with firearms, you know, so right. they're against it. And so his bill was to basically... Uh, make it a crime and not allow uh, for you to retrieve. And, and, and it would be a crime if you released a dog on the side of a highway and it went into somebody's uh, land that did not give you permission. That, that vote, Cree Deeds voted against the bill with us, 2020. Um, Madam did, you, President did you know he was going to do that? No, I did not. Oh, wow. And so Madam President broke the tie in favor of, uh, of hunting. Mm-hmm. Against what Marsden's bill was. And then Marsden said to Marsden said to Cree Deeds, well, now I'm going to go after Marsden uh, knows that Cree and I have this prescription drug bill. Well, I'm going to go after one of your bills. We're seeing a little bit of division in the Democrats there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that was 2020. Winston broke the tie and broke it. There's 55,000 voters out there that favored this kind of hunting. And that's probably going to help her if she runs for governor in two years. Make a couple statements. Of course, deer hunting in my family is a huge, huge thing as it is in much of South South Virginia and rural uh, Virginia. The problem with, or the the optics of somebody like Dave Marsden, who I who I like as well, but he doesn't have the full picture of really what the issue is. The problem is, like a lot of these other things, you can you can talk about gun violence, you can talk about dog hunting, you can talk about any number of things. It's a small number of people that that cause the backlash for everybody by not following the law or simple common sense or simple respect. If I was your neighbor and I was going to hunt, I'd come talk to you. You come talk to me. You know, a 1%, let's just call it 1% of people that dog hunt think that they have all these rights and they still doesn't mean you shouldn't go be, be respectful, respectful and... So that 1% causes all the problems 
for the other 99% that do it the right way. But deer hunting and hunting with dogs is and has been a way of life in our part of Virginia for way before I was born and is a big time revenue producer uh, in rural Virginia for a number of you know hunters coming in. They spend money. The people come in to the Fox Reserve in Emporia. They come spend money at the restaurants, hotels, and also property values yeah. are really kept high in a lot of rural areas in my part of Virginia because big-time hunting outfits and hunt clubs come and lease these properties for large sums of money to hunt. Yeah. So it, I know it sounds, if, you, if, you, if you're not in it every day, you don't see it every day, well, I can't have dogs running across my property, but let's do like we talk about a lot of other things. If somebody doesn't follow protocol or, or doesn't follow the law, take their license, find them, but don't do a blanket, you know, bill or law or law that is going to be not only take away a way of life, but be economically tragic for a lot of people in rural areas of Virginia that rely on this activity and the economic benefits it derives. Yeah, and, and ultimately, and I like Dave just like you do, here in Northern Virginia, you don't have this problem. Right. Why are you trying to solve a problem that's not your problem? Because somebody told him to. Yeah, and, and I mean, ultimately, it's, it's removing hunting, it's limiting hunting. They don't even understand. You know, today I was sitting with um, gun owners for safety, which is Gabby Giffords, you know, which is really just gun control. Mm-hmm. And these people come in and they sit down and they're very nice. And, and I didn't have to give them a minute. And, and, you know, usually we'd have the legislative aid. I was like, oh, come on, sit down. They're gun owners, but they're worried about suicides. They're worried about this, but they're, they're limiting laws. And they want the bills that are going to limit accessibility and actually make the lawful gun owner a, a criminal. One of the bills that they were advocating was, is if, I have, if I have my firearm in a car, gets broken into and they steal my firearm, and they commit a crime or they just steal my firearm, I'm the criminal. Yeah. Even though I may have stored it in my own private property, the car. I asked him a simple question. I said, look, let's say I'm going to the liquor store. Liquor store, government property says no guns Well, allowed. Bill, that's not a good example because yeah. you have people that do that, right. do I, that for I you. Never, I never do. I never go. <laughs> I never go. But let's just say I was, and I was open carrying or I had, and I could walk in to most places with my firearm open carry and that's fine. But in the, in the liquor store or a government building, you're not allowed to carry because they put the stickers out there and they say, you know, you can't carry a firearm in here. Well, it's not going to prevent, as we said before, the criminal from carrying that gun in there and robbing the place or shooting somebody. So I lawfully say, okay, I can't carry my gun in there. So I put it in the car. I lock the door. Somebody breaks into it, steals my gun. By obeying the law, by not carrying it into the ABC store or the government building, now somebody commits a crime against me, a property crime against me, takes my gun. I'm the criminal for obeying the law. Yeah. I asked them this, and they just could not rationally. You're more of a criminal than the person that broke into your car and stole your private property. Exactly. And committed a exactly. a, um, a property offense. A property offense. Yeah. yeah. But, and maybe use that gun in, a, in an unlawful manner. Right. right. Like hurt somebody, rob right. somebody with it. But I'm the criminal because... I was trying to obey the law and leaving the gun in but the car. They your story doesn't it. fit their narrative. Couldn't understand it. Yeah, It's all about suicide. They want five-day waiting period. I was like, well, what about the lady who's worried about her safety, has a protective order, you know, has a, a very violent and abusive boyfriend, 
What about her who wants to go out and buy a firearm? She has to now wait five days because you're worried about the guy who, you know, who might commit suicide by buying a firearm and committing suicide. And then the same bill, they, they couldn't explain that. And then the same bill, they said, well, if you don't secure your firearm in your house and someone is able to get that firearm and commit suicide, then you're guilty of a class one misdemeanor. Uh, well, aren't we punishing after the fact? Shouldn't we be focusing? I said, can't we come together on stuff where we're focusing on maybe preventing suicide by really putting government um, resources into mental health and all those things? Because what you're doing is you're not, you're not preventing the suicide. You're punishing the person that may have left the, the firearm in their drawer, under their bed. The person found it committed suicide. You're not stopping suicide. Well, no, it's a deterrent. I'm like, wait a minute. You're saying this is now a deterrent that people will, because they'd be cognizant that they have to um, secure their firearm. Really? Because you're the ones that are unwilling to do that and to make the criminal with a gun uh, to use five-year mandatory minimums for a second violent offense offender. We talked about this in the previous podcast. Right. To make sure that they're staying off the street because it's now their second time using a gun to be bad, but you're saying, you know, you know mandatory minimums are bad. They're, they're not good because they don't prevent crime. So that's not a deterrent, but for the lawful gun owner, in those, situ those rare situations where someone obtains a firearm that may not be secured in their definition, commits suicide. So after the suicide, not to prevent it, but after the suicide, you're punishing them and you're, and you're saying now that it's a deterrent. That is hypocrisy. That's what these gun laws are about. You know, it's just from the outside looking in, and I've watched some of these debates in committee, some on the floor, just how some of these legislators just talk so loosely about the constitution and people's rights it's really alarming and it's really as my dad would say scary yeah how just quickly when you have a narrative you want to push or a point you want to try to get across or some donor has tried to and a lot of these things are politicized to to to, to tell a certain or their side of the story but in fact uh, none of it does much in the way of protecting people's rights, and it does nothing in the way of of um, punishing people that commit crimes, even for a second time. It's always punishing the lawful person, right. the good guy with the gun, right. not the bad guy. Like, the, like the bad the, guy with the gun, we should have sympathy for. But the, the, the bad, bad guy with the gun is not going to pay attention to the law anyway. Correct. You think somebody's going to go as you're as you're securing your firearm in your car to go get a bottle of whiskey, obeying the law. And the guy breaks into the into your car. In, in midstream, he says, you know, I'm probably not supposed to do. Let me just put this back. Right. Well, he takes your firearm and then he walks up to the door in the same sticker that you're obeying the law with by not bringing your firearm. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I was going to knock over this liquor store, but it says no guns. I'm going to walk back. I'm going to put it back in the guy's car that I stole it from because I can't go in there and steal with this firearm. It's nuts. It is punishing good people with a gun it's nuts. and not punishing the bad So in your in your... In on the Senate side, have there been any other bills like that that Winsome Sears has got a chance to? Um, one other one, but not of note. But but it's really been so. What'll happen? Like on the one we just discussed, like a it's dead. I mean, that bill's dead. How about some of these others that are twenty one night? A lot of them are obviously passing on party lines. Mm -hmm. So does the governor have any authority to do anything with those bills? Uh, he can veto. And yeah. actually, I gave an interview to Joe DeShiel on Channel 7 today, and he said, so what do you think is going to happen with all these gun laws? And I said, 
uh, Governor Youngkin's going to have to buy a box of veto pens because one is not going to be enough. He's going to run out of ink. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. There's two dozen gun bill control, gun control laws, most notably the assault weapons ban. That was Senate Bill 2. The Democrats came out with this thing. They put out a bill, SB2, uh, which was supposed to be banning assault-style weapons. But they defined assault-style weapons as including your firearm that you have at your house. Every firearm, every shotgun that you hunt with is an assault weapon. And he he filed a bill to ban it. It passed on a 21-19 vote. We're we're going to have some video on what I said on the floor about that. Uh, But... That is one of those bills, 2119, 2119. I mean, some of the most ridiculous things. But there are some bills. Scholar von Valkenberg, a, uh, a senator here in, in Henrico, where, where I stay, put a bill in that says, if you know that your son or daughter has been convicted of a violent offense as a juvenile or has been adjudicated civilly as a violent offender, then you've got to secure your guns. If you give that person a gun then, and they commit a crime, then that's a violation of law. That's common sense. So we're not absolutists in in the Republican Party. There are some gun bills that we think are rational and reasonable and and keep guns out of the hands of bad people that intend to do bad things. They're just, everything is bad. We're going to eliminate guns the best we can. And just like that that crowd that came in, the Gabby Giffords crowd that came in today, I said, you know, see, we're, we're not one of these people that say, if it's a Impingement anyway on segmented rights, we're against it. We don't deal that way, but you guys deal this way. And so why can't we find some middle ground? Well, middle ground for them is eliminating all firearms. Right. And they just didn't see how we were actually making a difference by agreeing on something. That we just need to go and give up and let them win and everything will be great. And I said, we are a state with some of the most restrictive gun laws in the United States. We need to enforce those laws. And this person piped up and said, no, no, we're, we're only number 12. I said, only number 12 out of 50 states? Mm-hmm. That means we're one of the most restrictive gun law states on the planet. And so we need to enforce the ones we have. Well, being number 12 is not good enough. They want to be California, number one. Right. Which, which look at the gun crime out there. That's really stopped everything, hasn't it? Look at Illinois. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, Chicago and Illinois is like number two or three. Yeah. yeah. But that's not stopping it. They don't see it. So some of the other bills that we've had that have come through on crossover is establishing a retail cannabis market. 2119, the way they do it right now. Party land vote. 2119, 19 uh, Republicans against. But guess what? They want a retail cannabis market, but they don't. And and they want to restrict and they want to harm tobacco. And they've made us not grow tobacco in Southside and Southwest Virginia where it was cash crop. Pay you not to grow it. And now they're not going to let us grow marijuana. It's got to be grown indoors at their little foo-foo places, their little Democrat-controlled Democrat places. It has to have equity on it. It has to give minority ownership. But they're not even allowing farmers to participate in this marketplace. The hemp marketplace has crashed. Mm-hmm. So hemp was pretty good for a while. Hemp, you had a derivative for you know medicinal purposes. You, had, you were making rope. You were making dresses. That's all crashed. The cash crop there has died. But now they're not even saying, hey, farmer, we want you to be able to grow this cash crop that we're going to, we're going to retail market it. They think our farms should be solar panels and solar panels. There's even a bill that crossed over that said that if a County decides for itself that it does not want to allow 4% of the, of its acreage to be subjected to solar panels, they can, they can't say no. 
The government can override you and say, no, you're going to do this. Again, dictating to us what we should do. They did that with NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, CAFTA, Central American Free Trade Agreement. Cheap sneakers, cheap furniture, all our jobs went overseas. Can't grow tobacco, can't, can't pull the coal out of the ground. Every time they tell us what to do, we lose. And now they're going to dictate to us that we have to have solar farms. And then, you know, I brought up the simple point was, wait a minute. So I got a clear cut 50 acres up of timber. That, those trees aren't going to grow back if I'm putting solar panels on there. And I thought you guys liked trees. I thought that made oxygen. Oh, well, you know, oh, mm. they have this thing, this belief that they know what's best for us down in Southside and Southwest Virginia. Right. And they dictate policy. And they override the will of the people that got elected to determine policy at the local level. They think that's okay because it makes them feel better. But in the meantime, tell me how many solar farms are in Northern Virginia. Big fat zero. I mean, they're, they're passing little bills and laws that says, well, you can put it on a parking garage or on a building. But we're talking hundreds of acres. I mean, if you're talking 4% of a county with 35 square miles, I mean, you do the math. I mean, that's a couple square miles. People oh, up there in Northern Virginia, you know, I'm from Emporia. In my view, the uh, the line between Northern Virginia and South South Virginia is in Carson, <laughs> which is about 20 miles north of Emporia. They can have the rest of it. You know, but they've been looking down their nose at parts of the state like ours. It's never been, in my view, enough um, enough talk about regionalism. Yeah. And and things that because we do, you know, where you live and where I live, you live in the western part of the state. I'm more to the eastern part of the state. But, you know, northern Virginia is a different, you know, different needs, a different breed, different way of life, different revenue streams, different, you know, cost. of li- All these things are different, but they sometimes forget that when they do when they pass legislation or a blanket bill you know, with all their power and resources and money, yep. then we have to live with it. Yeah. And that there's never been enough, you know, and I, I know it's a difficult subject and it's not as easy. I'm not going to try to oversimplify, you know, the issue, but there, there needs to be more debate. And that's, you know, when you sit at home or when I sit at my office and watch legislators try to make laws for, the majority of Virginians, the most frustrating part or one of the more frustrating parts is the people that are in power, you know, like right now when the, the Democrats have control of both houses. Barely. Barely. But they, in a lot of cases, they say they like debate, but they don't, no. they don't open the doors and don't open their ears and don't open their brains to a different point of view. Well, and, and that's funny you say that. Because we no, have this bill. Funny. No, no, well, it's not funny. <laughs> All right, but it's it's interesting you yeah, say right. that because there's a bill that's now traveling through the House and the Senate called the Second Look Bill, which says you've been convicted of the most heinous crimes: murder, rape, aggravated uh, rape, and you get sentenced to you know life in prison or a significant sentence. That after ten or fifteen years, you can ask the court, petition the court, bring the victim back in for a second look because you know what? For fifteen years, I've been good in jail. Well, you should be good in jail. I have a lot of clients who I've gotten out uh, of jail, and, and they've been great in jail, and they, they've been a model prisoner, and they go commit crimes as soon as they get back. And so what they want is this second look. Well, in the debate process, both in the House and the Senate, and I think Jason Miari has even apologized to the victims, when the victims came in and wanted to testify why this was a bad bill, they cut them off. 
They cut them off in these Democrat-controlled committees. Yeah. So they go, oh, you have 30 seconds. How can you tell you the story of your murdered daughter in 30 seconds? And then when they tried to continue, then they were treated rudely. This is the people's house. We have these nice new committee rooms in the new General Assembly building, which should allow more interaction with the public because the public are the ones that put us there. And yet we ain't got time for you. We got too many bills to consider. Go on, which I think is wrong. When I was, when I was chairman of the local government committee, the vaunted local government committee, if you want to talk, you got to talk. I don't think it's fair for them to say, all right, all the victims of uh, crime and their families. Yeah, two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. And the first one takes a minute and a half, and there's 30, second, 30 seconds left over for 10 people to speak. And then they're rude to them. And that's their opportunity. Not fair, not right, not good. To change a heart and a mind yeah. of people like you, because obviously if it hadn't happened to you, you don't see it that way. And these people have a chance and should have a chance to talk. But that is, as, as I have watched and tried to keep up with things, not only that are important to me, but I think important to Virginians where I live, you know, to, for, for Democrats that are in charge of these committees sometimes to shut people down or cut them off or try to constantly put their stamp and their spin on everything that comes through there. It's, um, it's uh, somewhat frustrating. Yeah. And it's embarrassing, I think, for us. I mean, when you treat somebody poorly that drove all the way to Richmond to express their views or to talk about and give us a personal story of why this hits at home and you ignore them or you treat them shortly, quite frankly, uh, we should be ashamed of ourselves. I know we have some other stuff to talk about, but I, do, I will just make a comment. This second look, Bill, you're talking about, and it had to be a mistake. But I was told potentially that your friends at Americans for Prosperity <laughs> supported that they legislation. Did. They totally did. And, man, we got a lot to talk about. Which there, makes too. me happy in hindsight that they didn't support me. Well, they, they can kiss my butt, okay? <laughs> I mean, this is Americans for Prosperity. We're issue-oriented, um, what we call a 501c4. And sponsored by the Koch brothers, put billions of dollars in. Most of the issues they were championing for for years was were conservative. Conservative, issues. yeah. They've now, they're now saying second look is a good bill. Mm -hmm. Screw the damn victims. Screw making them come back to court and actually relive the, the victimhood, the, the pain. And, and they have gone off the friggin' rails. And so I've kind of gone after them. I've gone after them in a way that's, you know, I'm tired of their crap. If you're a C4, which is a 501C4, so you're not for profit. If you're, if you're, Basically, advocating issues and issues aligned with certain candidates, that's fine. You don't have to disclose who your donors are. If you're actually advocating for a candidate, you should, like a PAC, disclose who your donors are. So they're getting away with what we call dark money. Dark money is a ton of money comes in, says it on issue, skirts around the law, basically says and is used. And I think that happened against you. Yeah, they, they were very involved. And they avoid who's responsible yeah. for the money to go against a candidate like you. They were very involved in, in primary. my primary. Uh, they paid, even though both my opponent and I were both running to represent the Republican Party. Um, they and, and I don't know who where their decision-making process starts or where it ends, but they got really, really involved, especially when the news got out and the polls came out that my race was close. They got involved and paid for five or six mailers. You've run for office, I many you know what that cost. Oh yeah, as well as twenty, thirty thousand dollars, dozens uh, uh, mailer, dozens of door knockers. 
that went around and knocked on doors and told lies, told lies, which was the whole. I mean, this is this is not the candidate's campaign. Yeah, this was a C four not for profit issue oriented place. Yeah, got tons of money to go put nineteen twenty door knockers and, and walkers in your district. And then came out there and said salacious, defamatory right. things about on you. behalf of my opponent. Yeah, right. I mean, so you know what? Then come out of the dark. Yeah, if you're going to be a pack, be a pack. And so there was a bill actually. Uh, uh, Barbara Favola, Democrat from Northern Virginia, said basically she was trying to say if you're if you're a C four, you're you're one of these things, and you you give money to a candidate then or or sponsor it, then you have to go on the advertisement that's used with your money. I actually put an amendment in, had thought about it, met with a couple of people that were very interested in this issue and said, wait a minute, let's not, let's not stop there. Let's get rid of all dark money. So on the floor of the Senate, second reading, I proposed an amendment that said, if you're a C4 like Americans for Prosperity and you give money or you work in a campaign, you're not issue oriented anymore. You're campaign specific, a primary or a general, you need to disclose your donors because that brings the darkness into the light. That allows everybody to know who's behind that. And uh, it was a hard-fought battle on the floor of the Senate. I think I, I articulated why that we need, if we're going to do this, let's not be half pregnant. Let's go all the way here. Let's get rid of this. It's a noble cause. And the Democrats defeated it. And then Americans for Prosperity went nuts against me. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And, and, and after your race, I was like, don't, don't get near me. Don't even come near me about this stuff. I am not dealing with you guys. They have been getting away with stuff that is ridiculous. And, not, and, and they've started it after they were issue-oriented. They're now getting more involved. And now they're coming out with these bills that they, they give to legislators and want us to pass, which are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, you should see some of, the, some of the bills that they're sponsoring are against right to work, more union-oriented. This is ridiculous. And I'm not putting up with it. Come out of the darkness, into the light, be transparent. And they had a case of the butt about that. And they had a case about, about me. So what did I do? I took my number one weapon, my howitzer, my political howitzer, Richard Krauss, and I, and I positioned him <laughs> on the top of the ridge, and I said, "Boom, boom!" and we went after him. And we're going to continue going after him. They don't need to be in politics. The guy that's running the show here in Virginia needs to go get another damn job. And I'm not going to name him by name right now, but I tell you what, I'm not putting up with this crap anymore. We should have, there are so many people that give to political campaigns, $100, $200, $300. Their names go on a list. Mm-hmm. You know what they stand for, who they stand for, the issue they stand for. These big money 501C4, C3, C4, and C6s get oodles of money and then go into a primary like yours or, or a race, a Democrat, Republican, pick a side, give in-kind donations because they do the advertising, they do the door knockers, they mm-hmm. do the walkers, they do the, they do the mailers, and they don't have to disclose like we would, where that money came from. That's not right. And quite frankly, it needs to end in Virginia politics. Might have lost. I lost 21-19. Uh, but if I'd won that thing, we would have ended dark money in Virginia. I'm coming back next year. I'm not going to give up. And they can kiss my butt. What they've done here in Virginia is, is dangerous, detrimental, and they should go to another state. It's not welcome here in the Commonwealth. Let's talk about something else. Obviously, we, we have to, with crossover and things going on, one of the main things that we've talked about on this podcast from the very beginning is our fight to um, tax fairly tax and regulate skill games in the Commonwealth of Virginia and our small businesses. They were banned, obviously, by SB 971 by Ralph Northam three, four years ago. We went to court. We 
we we won an injunction to allow these small businesses to maintain their right to run their businesses and and have this revenue from these skill games during the pandemic. And now fast forward, you know, um, and people can listen to the podcast and know the full story and we'll see how much detail you want to get into it. But basically the casinos put enough pressure on uh, our attorney general's office and others to get the Supreme court involved. Ultimately our, um, our uh, lawsuit, uh, you know, was, uh, was vacated or our injunction was vacated. Our lawsuit was dismissed. The machines have gone dark again. And, but in the process of all that bad news, I think this two plus years that these games operated gave a lot of people in the general assembly of Virginia that represent parts of Virginia where these small businesses are the lifeline of those economies gave them an opportunity to quote unquote, see the light on why these skill games are important, why these small businesses are important, not to mention the free market system, free enterprise, all these other things. And it sounds like from the outside looking in that maybe the tide has turned a little bit on certain legislators' opinions of, if done right, the benefit that skill games can afford our convenience stores, our truck stops, our restaurants, and our bars, and they should be able to, the ones that do it by the law, should be able to participate uh, in this industry and create revenues, pay their people, reinvest this money. So my question to you after saying all that is, those that follow this podcast for updates on skill game legislation as we get to crossover, where does it stand on the Senate side? Where does it stand on the House side? That is a great question. There's a lot to unpack in that question, but I think we need to take it down to where we are right now. You and I, let's just revisit where we started. 971, like you mentioned, uh, was a ban on skill games. There was a one-year reprieve during the pandemic, which allowed small businesses, convenience stores, truck stops, restaurants, bars, the ability to have skill games in their stores, regulated by the ABC, and, and there was a taxing uh, scheme. Uh, there was a tax and regulatory framework that was in place. I think it was $1,200. $1,200 per, per month per machine. Okay. And it worked really well. And the ABC governed it very well. There was no riffraff. You and I were, went through a court case, but we'll talk about that in a second. That demonstrated the ABC was willing to handle it and handled it very well. Very well. What a great organization to do that on short notice in the way that they did. They had stickers on the games. They knew where every game was. They were registered. Uh, they were in ABC regulated uh, premises that re when you say ABC regulated, it's beer on or off premises. So they so you have the ABC agents coming in there, regularly checking out people don't want to lose their liquor license or beer and wine license. So they're going to make sure that these machines are run properly, that only adults play them and that the money was paid. It worked wonderfully for one year, 971 went in effect. You and I filed that lawsuit. We got an injunction, turned the games. The games were off from July, what, July 1 to about December. Right. And the lawful, 2021. the lawful owner of these small businesses turned off those games, mm -hmm. lived by the law. Uh, Pacematic, which sponsors us, lived by the law. We got the injunction. You and I, you and I in a grassroots effort, went in there, got the injunction, got the games turned back on. And for 23 months, they operated. But they operated without a tax and regulatory framework. So Virginia, for 23 months... Missed out on a lot of cash. A lot of money. I mean, we're talking $400, $500 million. A lot of cash. But even Pacematic and other, and other uh, game uh, creators 
you know, were, were doing everything they could to live by the law under the old ABC, but they weren't even regulated by ABC at that time. Right. So ultimately what happened after that was Supreme Court handed down uh, vacating the injunction. Our court case got dismissed after 23 months because, because, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, because one person, maybe a couple, but one person on the House Appropriations uh, Committee decided to do what we're not supposed to do, which is legislate through the budget, which was to create then, they saw where we, we were winning and the games were, were constitutionally protected. So they went into the budget and wrote criminal, criminal code legislation that you had to, if you voted for the budget for teachers' raises, you had to vote for this, that then took away all the power we had in this court case that would have ultimately, ultimately uh, determined for ourselves when the permanent injunction was given in that this state would then determine for itself skill games, regulatory structure in the future. Took it all away. Right. One person, really. Mm-hmm. One person, two people, three people. We've talked about who they are, and we're going to talk about one of them here in a, in, in a minute. So that stopped that. Well, you know what? I remember you called me up one day. It was in the wintertime before we came back and said, you're not going to believe this. I got a phone call from a certain legislator, Louise Lucas, who said, this is wrong. This is hurting small business. In fact, that was the Saturday morning after the Supreme Court, in our view, surprisingly got involved to the extent that they did get involved. Not only we thought the Supreme Court Worst case scenario would simply ask the circuit court judge in our case to further explain Mm -hmm. his findings. Right. But they went. He extended the injunction based mm -hmm. on the new language. And they're saying, well, he did so without a hearing. And then they determined that skill games was gambling, which it wasn't and ignored all of the record where we determined and the court determined that skill games were not games of chance. Games of chance were illegal unless inside a casino or Rosie's. The games of chance are, as you have historically said, and I think it's the best thing, you put your money in, you press the button, and, and you, hope. you hope. You hope. And so we had we had a But the Supreme Court came in and basically went way further than we thought they would or even thought they should have, and not only vacated the injunction, but in essence, tied the hands of the circuit court judge in our case that led to the dismissal of our case. We got that news on Friday as you and I were walking to the attorney general's office for me to get my deposition take your deposition. in the case. The next morning at 9 a.m., Louise Lucas called my cell phone and started the conversation of, she started all, I cannot believe what the Supreme Court has done in this case. And true to her word, she has been a champion of it ever since. True to her word, she thinks about the little guy. She got her casino in Portsmouth. Right. She was pro casino and maybe not so pro uh, uh, skill games, but she sees the devastation that it's causing to these small businesses and not allowing small businesses to participate in the marketplace of gaming and just letting these monopolies from Vegas and, and Chicago to take over. She took it up. You and I were a little bit, well, we hope this is what's going to happen. We hope this is going to continue. Um, we hope, but she's always someone who's good for her word. So that started the process now when we got in the General Assembly session. Senator Aaron Rouse, we've talked about this in previous podcasts, which you can go through our library. We've been discussing this issue for years. This is part of the reason why we started this podcast. Um, Aaron carried a bill, a very simple bill on the Senate side, and yet here came the casino forces to try to, to, try to dumb it down, to try to kill it. There's a, there's a podcast episode about two or three back where I was in the uh, 
in the Commerce and Labor Committee. Senate Bill 212. That's it. And, uh, and I defended that bill. Those casino lobbyists went to the Washington Post and said, Bill Stanley's committing an ethical and illegal violation. But I already had an ethics opinion that said I could argue it. I could have sponsored the bill. I could vote for it. I, everything when I, when I basically would abstain, hey, new, I didn't have to do. Newsflash, uh, casino lobbyist, because of y'all's money, power, and dirty influence, our lawsuit was dismissed. Yeah. So there is there was no ongoing there was no legislation. But even that didn't matter. I could have voted for it before because yeah. as long as I didn't but own you a didn't. skill game but you or, didn't. or have a stake in the company that made You've always games, erred on the side of caution with that. But they were willing to, for those three pieces of silver, try to get me, who's been there for 14 years, uh, put on an ethical challenge, a charge with a crime. Smear your name. Right. And these are guys that Discredit come in with you. other clients, with other clients that come in all the time and they want me to kiss their butt and listen to their clients. And, and, you know, if I ever find out who those some bitches are, then they're never going to come into my office again, because that was just wrong. But that shows you to the extent and limitless desire that they want to keep small businesses from being participatory in the gaming market. They want a monopoly. Yeah. And so that's what they were willing to do. So we went through this thing. We now have two bills that have come out. And the funny thing was, and I called you and, and sent you the text, Louise's bill there's two very different Senate bills and a House bill. Um, two different House bill and Senate bills. Mm -hmm. Let me be clear. Rouse's bill, which you've just mentioned. 212. Uh, that's a bill that has, it's now 22% taxation. There's a limit on the number of games that you can have in a truck stop, different from a restaurant, different from an ABC regula regulated uh, convenience store. Right. There are uh, some guardrails in there, 21 years old. And, uh, and over, you can play it. If you're under 21, you can't play it. It's regulated and over, uh, the oversight is back with the ABC, ABC. not the lottery. Mm -hmm. It's a good, smart bill, plus, you know, a 22% you know, tax rate. It's going to bring 250 to 300 million into the coffers of the Commonwealth. So you had that bill. And, you know, in a previous podcast, we were in Commerce and Labor. They wanted to send it to the General Laws Committee where they're going to try to kill it. The casinos had that going on. Louise and I were able to move that to Louise's uh, committee on finance where she's the chairman. Bill gets out. Bill gets out, goes on the floor. I think it was what? 32, 32 to eight. eight. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty strong. Yeah. 32 to eight, the bill passes, which says as a policy here in Virginia, we believe small businesses should participate in the gaming marketplace in skill games. Mm -hmm. They rejected VGTs, which are video game terminals, games of chance, no slot machines in these, in these places. Uh, you know, the bars, restaurants, truck stops, uh, convenience stores. So we're limiting what it is and, and the number. So that bill is now sailed over to the House. The House, in the meantime, Paul Krizik, and uh, took the bill from, I don't think it was Clint Jenkins. I can't remember who it was. But he had a very similar, almost identical bill to what Louise and, and uh, Senator Rouse's bill was. And they put on a bill that basically said it's 30% taxes, you have to have a central reporting system in each machine so that they know every bet, bet that's going on. It has the 21 limitation, but they put on these onerous um, regulations to try to actually like two, tax two you machines out of the market. instead yeah. of five and tax you out of the market. Referendum, local referendums. The local referendum, which, of course, the local referendum, the local businesses would have to pay for the referendum, right. which basically keeps them out of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So they were putting these things in to allow. Casinos to continue their monopoly on that bill. That bill is coming over to the Senate. 
Um, and I think what you'll find is we'll put Adam Rouse's, uh, Aaron Rouse's bill on top of that, send it back over. But we now have at least two versions of a skill game bill passed from each chamber. It's going to have to be worked out in the conference committee. And when you have two different bills, you have a committee in conference, you try to work it out that way. Louise's bill, unfortunately now, as it came out of finance and passed on the floor at 32 to 8, is going over to the general laws committee run by uh, Delegate Krizik, who's not for scale games, clearly, instead of going to commerce and labor. So there's going to be more kind of chance of shenanigans or, or play there. Casinos are going, they're all in for a fight. If you turn on the TVs here in Richmond, Those every third commercial is, and you know, The casinos and Rosie's are behind all of that. And, and, they're, and they're showing where somebody stole a Queen of Virginia game out of a front door where there's no money in the damn game. So that criminal was about as dumb as could be. They're saying, oh, yeah, there's crime around these games. You and I had, they, had the court case. We had Kirby, the guy from ABC. We had the, uh, we had the law enforcement there saying there was no problem, no yeah. law enforcement problems. There wasn't drugs and alcohol or anything like that. They had maybe one problem with somebody not paying that tax. But that was it. And so they're making the skill games into a boogeyman where it should They not want be. the people that don't know any better. They want to make it look like, you know, we're scuzzy. Mm. I got called that. Never heard that before. You know, and so fact of the matter is small businesses like ours and others, you know, we run our businesses. We have ABC licenses. You know, having skill games is a tremendous bonus for potential revenue. But when you have an ABC license, you have to adhere to a number of rules and regulations as far as how to run your store and underage. I mean, all the problems that they want to bring up is just not in reality what goes on inside of these businesses. Well, and not only that, I mean, you have to see that the fingerprints of the casinos are all over the House bill that's coming over to the Senate. And we will change that up real quickly. But they So in latest terms, they're basically saying, well, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to completely keep them out, which is what we want to get a monopoly. So the next best thing is if y'all are going to have them put so much tax and so much restriction on them that they're not economically viable for these businesses. So they'll keep them out themselves. That's exactly right. So a 30% tax rate on skill games. Okay. It's substantially higher than any other form of gaming. So I've got it right in front of me. Casinos on the first 200 million of adjusted gross receipts of an operator each calendar year, the, the rate is 18%, yeah. which is almost one half of what they're trying to put on skill games and small businesses. Sports betting, which is hundreds of millions a month. Have you seen some Big of those Big time numbers? business. 15%. Yeah. 15%. Historical horse racing, which is a lie, which is Rosie's where they say, you know, we were going to put machines in with historical horse racing games and people could bet on the video games. Never seen them. They're slot machines. Rosie's a slot machine. That that uh, historical horse racing rate is twenty two percent, so that's ridiculous. Central control system is to a slot machine because slot machines have a central control system which controls to move the percentage of winning up or down. Right. There's some nerd on a computer that's basically changing the odds, but it also has a reporting system on basically the money comes in and money goes out. They want to put that on skill games. You can't. You can't do that. That's a slot machine compliant kind of deal. So they're trying to turn a skill game into a slot machine, which then cannot be adjusted because there's no way to to 
figure that out because a skill game is based on the person's ability. Skill of the player. Not on and chance, look, which can be manipulated. That's one thing, Bill. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. I've certainly said it to you privately, and I've said it in some other conversations. But you know what really, in a, in a full disclosure, as you, we say all the time, Pacematic is a software company that creates this software, and they're also a sponsor of this podcast, and they're a sponsor of our race team. All that being said, you know what pisses the casinos off more than anything? What? Is the simple fact that Michael Pace at Pacematic has built a much better mousetrap than what the casinos have. Exactly. They have a better game. They have a game that if you use your skill and you're a better player than we proved in court that you can win every single time. Right. And the casinos, people that play tell the industry leaders all the time, we would much rather play a queen game or a skill game because a better player, I can beat the machine every time. Yeah. The casinos don't have that. No. no. There are guys on like YouTube and stuff that show you how you can learn the game and win the yeah, game. Yeah. User skill to but win. that really irritates the casinos to no end because they have yet, and this would be the first thing they need to do, is realize that their competition has a better product than they do. And that's their problem. That's the problem. So then they try to put what is a game of chance regulatory system on a game of skill, which right. doesn't fit. It it's does not, not fit. one size fits all. So yeah. The central control system, which is specific to slot machines, can't can't work in a skill game, and they know it can't work, so it's a fatal flaw for what they do. What they also do is they they sit there and they want on skill games mandatory win rates. Now this this thing that they put in the house bill basically says you can you have to set a win rate, like a percentage of win rate. You can't do that in a game of skill because it all depends on the player. This is a game of chance kind of deal, which they set the win rates. You know why they set the win rates? Because the pay, or the payout rate is because these rates in a slot machine can be predetermined by an algorithm or a dude, a nerd on a computer 45 miles away, setting the, the win rate, lowering it, raising it, seeing there's a bunch of people playing around it, yep. wants to get people excited, starts putting out winners, mm -hmm. and then cuts it off and makes their money back. They also then wanted lottery as the regulator in the House bill, which is not in Senator Louise Lucas or Aaron Rouse's bill. Lottery is not set up to regulate. They know that that will be a fumble when Aaron Rouse and, and Senator Lucas bill says, let's go back to the old, the old regulatory system that proven, worked, which was ABC proven, very simple Stick on the side, know where the game is registered, got ABC agents going in there and check it on yep. lottery. Lottery moves away from guys like you in convenience stores. They have been slowly for the last five or six years online. moving all their business operations away from brick and mortar places like mine, which basically we've been in the lottery business 35 years and still getting 5% commission. Yet I've got to pay, used to be 8, 10, 12, 15, now $20 an hour for a cashier to run a lottery line to get 5% on a scratch ticket sale. And they've been slowly, the lottery, moving and in spending their advertising dollars that we help them generate to push players to play on their phones and online. And the biggest draw for us for lottery has not been the 5% that lottery generates for us. It's getting them in the store so that we can then sell them a 
Pepsi Cola or Twix bar or whatever the case may be. Exactly. And they're pushing people away from small businesses in that way. And so they should not be involved in the skill game industry because no. they're not. Look, like my dad says all the time, either you're on my team or you're not. Sounds simple, right? But lottery is showing that they are not on the team of these small businesses, these brick and mortar places that have been team Virginia lottery for over 30 years. Well, not only that, you're, if you're scratchers, your, your hard, you know, in your hand scratcher numbers go down. They say it's got to be because of skill. We proved in our court case, it wasn't because of skill. We got Actually, the director at that time to finally admit. Yeah. Yeah. Our sales have gone up, man. And, and I, <laughs> we even, when the tax and regulation period, when under COVID started, as an experiment, my company, we actually added games during that period to places that we didn't have games just to say, because it'd be, it'd be really hard to, in some cases, you know, cut it up to see exactly what a skill game did to lottery. Right. But we took two stores, one in Petersburg, one in Franklin, put the games in to do a head-to-head what happens when you add games to a store at this period of time with lottery, I mean, with um, with lottery in the store and with ABC oversight and all these other things, what does it actually do to sales? And lottery sales went up. Scratch ticket sales sure. went up. Our grocery sales went up. Because they're there. Because those people come there. in to play lottery. Some of them come in to play skill games. And we Some had an overall, both. you know, better feedback from our cashiers and our employees. They're like, look, we like having people in the stores in the evenings, especially at night. Makes us feel safe because we know these people. They come in a couple of times a week, yada, yada, yada. But you'll never see that in a commercial on TV that the casinos are paying for. Oh, no, no. And and they want to point out the people in the convenience stores and maybe grandma's in there too long and she shouldn't be in there but does not shine the light on their own practices where their bars and uh, inside the casinos and their casinos are 24 hours. They're serving alcohol. They're the, the, the house always wins all of that stuff. They just want you out. Now they're in a desperate situation. So you're going to see right now in crossover, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to see now a full court press from the casinos. They're going to try to pull this house bill and push it to the point that it makes it untenable. Or let's say you have two different house bills what we do is when we have we have two bills that are in conflict, we 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 pick committees in conference, which is three members, usually two of the of the majority side, one of the of the minority, and we have their one that comes over and we try to meet and resolve it. What motivation does the house have if they have the honors bill and the casinos are backing them saying, Don't give in and go with Louise Lucas's bill or Aaron Rouse's bill? Stick with the 30% and the, and the central control system and all this stuff that will kill it. And the local referendum, which you yeah. talked about earlier. Right. Local referendum that you have to vote in the ability of your gas station or restaurant to have a skill game in there. I mean, that's what they're going to use. That's going to be the play. And I think what you're going to see is Louise Lucas is the most powerful person in Virginia right now. And, and she's doing very well with it. I mean, she's not onerous. She's not wielding the, the hammer of Thor. But she understands that this needs to get passed for the economies of our local businesses in our local areas throughout the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. What she needs to do is press on them to say, don't bring that crap house bill over here and expect to get anything done on the Senate side. So she can hard push on the house side to soft soften their law 
their bill. So when it comes over, those two bills are not as bad mm-hmm. and that there's room to find agreement. I mean, these things will change again. Committees and conference, uh, again, negotiate the bill to try to find consensus. That's what you're going to see. But what the casinos want is that the bills are so far apart. The house bill is so far from what Aaron Rouse and Louise Lucas bill is that we can't agree. And it dies because nobody can find an agreement. That's going to be the fight coming up when it comes to skill games. Mm-hmm. But it is heartening positive for me that we knew two and a half, three years ago that this was important for Virginia, that this revenue was important for our small businesses, that this revenue could generate a heck of a lot more money than sports betting and casinos and would have more benefit for our local schools, our local economies, because you'd open the door to gaming. You better let the small businesses participate. I think we're going to see something very positive here. My, remember, we, we started out, what was my number? Seven out of 10, eight out of 10? You went from 70 Percent. to 30. And this to was confidence 40 in getting to 50 mm-hmm. to 70, back to 50. Okay, right. 60, right. then back to 30. Went to 30. Then to 70. 30, and that last I heard, seven, you were teetering between 70 and 80. Okay, I'm 85. 85. I'm 85. It's gone up because you have one of the strongest women, persons, senators behind the bill and she controls the purse strings for the house and the Senate. So who are the big roadblocks on the house side of things? Well, I think, um, Senator, uh, I'm sorry, delegate Krizik. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, our old, uh, friend nemesis, Barry Knight. Yeah. But his wings may have been clipped. Um, I think that's about it. I mean, I, and whoever, whoever else, I mean, you, you'd have to go through the list of who, who voted against the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in its current form. And I think there are some people hidden into it because they knew that the bill would be a kill switch on skill. But they're probably, you know, you, you got to worry about the majorities over in the House to get this bill across the finish line in the Aaron Rouse, Louise Lucas form. You mentioned Barry Knight. He has been a Barry Knight vocal uh, opponent of skill games and you and me from the very, very beginning. Why? You know, I don't know why, but it started early. Um, obviously, he took hey, by the way, the casinos. He, even before, or maybe he knew why I was there, he, for the last three years, even prior to our lawsuit, refused to take a meeting with me. Shocking. Well, you know, Barry Knight, uh, he's the one that was behind the legislating and the budget because he was in control of the budget and appropriations uh, on the House side when the when the... House was controlled by Republicans, so he was chairman. Um, you and I, I think we probably talked about that time when when we were together at um, Book at a restaurant. Yep. And he decided to lay it on me for mm-hmm. what I was doing. Yep. Hated what I was doing. That he was going to do everything he could for that. And he made you back. realize pretty quick that I'm up here mm-hmm. and, I'm and you're down there. That's right. Yeah. And that it stemmed from seven or eight years ago when he had a judge fight when. A good friend of mine, uh, Jeff McWaters, wanted a judge to stay on the bench. He wanted the judge off the bench so he could put somebody he liked on the bench better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went way back. And the arrogance of this legislator. Now, I love somebody that fights for their area. But when you're fighting for a thing and not a people, then I have some concerns. The arrogance of him uh, to, to do what he did against small businesses to do what we say in the Virginia General Assembly, which is we do not legislate in the budget. We do not mess with legislation when there's an ongoing court case. He defied every rule that is supposed to be hard and fast in the General Assembly 
so that he could do in skill games when he knew he was losing. He used his power and authority to harm skill games. And we've talked about this in prior podcasts. You can see it all in our library. I mean, it's a great library to go back through and see the history of this at this point in time. But here was a guy that absolutely was in, on board with Janet Howe and Tommy Norman calling us scuzzy and that the people that ran convenience stores were Alibaba's, mm -hmm. um, was doing whatever he could for some reason that didn't make sense. And now when he lost the majority, he lost the chairmanship of House Appropriations Committee, most powerful chairmanship you can have. But he was still on, still on the committee. But though, he was right? still on the committee. I mean, right. uh, the uh, new speaker, Don Scott, who I think the world of, put him back on appropriations because of experience mm -hmm. until just recently. You'd be shocked. The biggest tidal wave that rippled through the General Assembly yesterday was all of a sudden, we heard as we were sitting in committee, the House is still in session, and all of a sudden we heard something because we all watch the, the House you know, proceedings. They right. watch ours. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, we heard the following, which knocked us over with a feather. Uh, yes, sir, Ms. Speaker. <clears throat> I have a communication from the Speaker's office um, uh, to the clerk. Uh, I have made the following committee assignments and changes effective today. Uh, Delegate Coiner appointed to the Committee on Rules. Delegate Batten removed from the Committee on Rules. Delegate Tata appointed to the Committee on Appropriations. Delegate Knight removed from the Committee on Appropriations. Boom. Delegate Knight appointed to the Committee on Transportation. Delegate Tata removed from the Committee on Transportation. Sincerely, Don Scott, Speaker. Sincerely. <laughs> Sincerely, Don Scott. Boom. A nuclear bomb dropped in the middle of the Virginia General Assembly. Hasn't happened in a while. They used to do this way in the past. I mean, you know, uh, I was talking to Krauss, and you were talking to Krauss. Uh, where uh, where uh, Speaker Howell did it occasionally, Speaker uh, Vance Wilkins, he would walk into a committee room. If he didn't like how somebody was voting, he'd point at him, say, get off the dais, and he'd put somebody back in the chair. This is an awesome power that the Speaker of the House has to remove somebody from a committee and replace them with somebody else. Sometimes it happens right there in the midst of the committee. However, at the end of the House of Delegates Day, that 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 announcement was made from the from the speaker don scott and and did you see the video i or, did did you see what don scott was doing acting like nothing he happened. just like it was <laughs> no he big was, deal whatsoever move along man and so and so you saw so that, that really was i mean monumental i heard about it almost immediately too monumental so why, oh, why? And we were sitting in committees and all of a sudden, we're getting this, and we're spreading it around. It, it exploded like wildfire. Look, I, look, Barry's been a thorn in our side, so obviously having somebody a little more open-minded towards not just skill games, but the importance of small businesses and their rights in the Commonwealth of Virginia is important to us. But outside of that, why, in your view, would Speaker Don Scott make a move like that? Well, that's speculative, and I can speculate. But if you do that in such a public way, especially by a communication from the speaker to the clerk. And to the make clerk, sure it's read, read over the clerk, PA system. clerk reads yeah. it at the end of the day. And for me, what you can see in these newspaper articles, Barry had no idea. Barry Knight, the guy that was up our ass and was so powerful and was rewriting the code, the criminal code in Virginia in his budget and got it passed, which shut us down, shut these small businesses down, suddenly got dethroned, defrocked, stinger taken out. 
if you're doing that in a public setting in politics, you've done something wrong. And you've obviously ticked off the speaker. Don Scott, obviously assess the situation. Again, I'm speculating. Determine that he was more of a hindrance than he was a positive influence because, you know, he was the chairman of appropriations a year ago. He determined for himself he's not effective anymore. In fact, he's a detriment for what is going on in Virginia. It may have been a number of reasons. He may have said something sideways to somebody that that speaker got offended by. It could have something to do with, with skill. It could have something not to do with skill. It could have something to do with how he handled a certain situation in a certain committee or even on a probe. I saw a quote, and again, we were just speculating to your point that none of this, I guess, can be attributed as fact, but I saw a quote where Cray Deeds made a comment to somebody who asked him about the removal of Barry Knight off appropriations, and he said, it's simply a case of what goes around comes around. Yeah. What would he mean by that? Well, because Cree was there in the, in the House when uh, certain speakers ripped people off of committees right while they were sitting there. It's happened before. It happens. The power of the speaker is much bigger than, say, Madam President Winsome Sears. She, doesn't have the, she does not assign committees. The majority party in the Senate assigns committees. Now, they've done that on the Senate side. The latest example is when Amanda Chase kind of went sideways with everybody, was, you know, at the Jan 6 protest, the Jan 6 protest, but, but still didn't participate, didn't run through the, the Capitol or anything like that. And then from what she said, they censured her and then they removed her from all committees and they killed all her bills. So it happens. You have to really do something drastic to piss people off. And that's obviously what happened here. Now, if I'm thinking about Don Scott, He's consolidating power. He's removing the people that may not be in power, but close enough to where they can stick them in the side. Mm -hmm. So he's consolidating power. And he's also sending a message which says, don't mess with me. I am the speaker. Every speaker has exercised this, exercised this power. Good for him to do so. And I can tell you a lot of Republicans on the Senate side sit there and, and chuckled and said, you know, couldn't, couldn't have him do it I've had man. more than one legislator, Republicans, to over the last couple of years make comments that, and I've never personally spoken to Mr. Knight other than I tried to introduce myself that night at the restaurant when he was talking to you, I guess you might say. But, you know, he refused a meeting with me, but I've had a couple people, even Republicans, make comments to me that, you know, Barry is just, too big for his britches and not really in times of, you know, he's, he's when he's got power and authority, he likes to wield it, but you know, he's, he's, um, you know, maybe not the best when it comes to seeing other people's point of views or whatever the case may be. So I was surprised as anybody uh, to hear that. It's just not something I was expecting to hear at all. And certainly not, Yesterday, in the in the timing yeah, but, that yeah, it happened. Let's be honest. When we heard it, uh, Richard Krause, my team, clipped the video. We listened to it ten times, <laughs> and it kept getting funnier every time we listened to it. You reap what you sow, as my wife likes to say: play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And this is one of those things. And so, you know what? If he if he had not been so arrogant, and his arrogance had not spread to small business owners, other Republicans. And now the Democrat Party, he probably would not have had to suffer that humiliation, 
humiliation on the floor, ultimate humiliation, which I have a lot of sympathy for. I mean, nobody wants to take it, you know, up the backside that way. But sometimes you've created the situation that you now have to live in. And clearly that occurred. I don't, and I don't know. I mean, you know, they removed a man in a bat and I have no idea. There's, there's some more layer in there. And that's why I'm speculating here. Uh, there's something going on in the house, but what you're seeing is a lot of divisiveness now inside internally with the Democrats outside with the Democrats and Republicans in the house outside with Democrats and Republicans in the Senate internally with the Democrats in the Senate. I think there's a lot more ground uh, swell of this kind of earthquake that's going to happen as we get close to the end of the session and buckle your seatbelts, pop some popcorn. I think it's going to get more interesting as we go on, but this was a monumental, a colossal move and really a public move by the speaker, Don Scott, to assert his authority. And unfortunately, because the power of 21, as we say in the, in the Senate, power of 51 in the House, he had every right to do it, and he exercised his power lawfully and in the right way and ethically in the right way. Well, it's, you know, on a selfish note, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out or how, how that affects, you know, I say mine and your and our uh, quest to get a fair and equitable resolution on skill games uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, but also bigger and broader than that, you know, how does it affect the overall uh, putting together of a budget? Because, you know, you and I have talked online and in private about, you know, this is Louise Lucas's, you know, she, she's, you know, on the main stage as well on a budget. And so how does, how, it's a lot of dynamics, a lot of moving, you know, parts and pieces. Then you got the governor. I don't know what the governor's relationship is with Barry Knight, but that had to get the governor's attention as well. Yes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina, 
That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer, and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. Hermie, you're, you're full of good questions tonight. You know, the funny thing is, is there's a downside for Barry Knight coming off appropriations and, and Tata going on. You're losing institutional knowledge. He comes with himself uh, and brings to the table a lot of institutional knowledge. So there's a loss there. It's a loss to the Commonwealth. I'm not going to ignore that. He's a pompous in my opinion. I think there are a lot of Republicans on the Senate side that giggled and thought to themselves, this is great. And he, he has unfortunately burned those bridges by how he's treated not just Democrats, but Republicans at the same time. But you do lose the guy that knows how to move the levers and control things inside the budget, not legislating criminal code like he did to screw our skill game legislation because he had some agenda. Mm-hmm. So you do lose the good side of him. And I think, quite frankly, the governor probably hates that loss, um, but he's going to have to deal with the replacements. You know, he's going to have to deal with what's coming up. This is the most complicated session ever for Glenn Youngkin and probably for any governor in the 14 years that I've been here. But that's what we deal with. We have been dealt the cards and those are in our hands and we're going to have to do something about it. So I think the governor's going to have to pivot a little bit. He's probably been relying on Barry on the House side. Barry asserts himself as the all-knowing, all-powerful guy on the Republican side when it comes to the budget. If he had played his cards right and been respectful, not tried to call small businesses scuzzy and, 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 and go against what we don't do. Play out his personal agenda right. by using his position. He probably would not be suffering this fate. I mean, there's got to be a bunch of reasons why the Speaker made such a public announcement that we just heard taking him off that. Maybe he failed to realize who was in charge. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's, and that's to his detriment. And you know what? That's when ego and personal ambitions get in the way of representing your people. And that's why we're not here to do those kind of things because we run afoul of whoever's in power, even when it's us in power or them in power. So he has made his bed and he's going to lie in it. What does that do for the governor? It makes it harder for the governor. What does that do for Glenn Youngkin? It makes it more difficult trying to get deals. What does that do? That limits and lessens the equanimity between Republicans and Democrats in a 5149 House or a 2119 Senate. Someone whose last name rhymes with kite 
should have been mindful about that. Doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your principles, but you just have to understand we are working in the margins here to do what's right for Virginia. There are 2119 votes. There are 5149 votes. They're going to happen. You're going to have the partisanship. I'm going to tell you right now, the Democrats have put more partisan bills out than I've ever seen, whether we've been in the majority or they've been in the majority. It seems like a full onslaught on their side. What have we done? We've not put out that many bills, almost none that are going to lose at 2119. We, we had the one Tim Griffin bill, the abortion bill on the House side, where he was putting in the Hyde Amendment, no exceptions, no public funding for any abortions under any circumstances. Why would you put a bill? He's a freshman, Tim Griffin. Know him, like him. He puts a bill in, then he knows he's going to lose. But not only lose, it's going to affect the guys in his caucus. And yet he ignores that because he thinks he's right. His arrogance and immaturity, legislatively, thinks that this is the right thing to do. And he's trying, and what, what the Democrats saw was, ooh, an opportunity to kick this thing out of, what they did on his bill, which they should have killed in a committee, they sent it directly to the floor to put every Republican on the board mm -hmm. because they're going to create that contrast because they want that contrast. Everything is partisan to them right now. We have things where they're, we're working in the margins where it's not partisan and we're finding consensus. But they saw that as an opportunity and he immaturely didn't think what he was going to do was going to harm the whole Republican Party. Right now, 51, 49, 29, 21, 19, there's not going to be a restriction on abortion. Next year, they're offering constitutional amendments that are going to actually enshrine abortion in our state constitution. I mean, that's dangerous in and of itself, but that's what's coming. And you do something stupid like this. And I think his bill, which is limiting public funding for any abortion under any circumstances, actually was defeated 95 to 1. He couldn't kill his bill. They put him through the ringer. They made him look like a fool. When are we going to realize as a party that we don't need to engage in things that help them hit us over the head with a brickbat? Right. That's the kind of thing, again, whatever's happened with Barry Knight, he's now put himself in a weakened position and weakened his party by whatever stance he took, whatever private conversation caused this, whatever thing he did, he has caused us as Republicans points, scores, and positions. That's where we are right now. And now Governor Youngkin has to deal with that in a way that no governor really contemplates that I have to deal with that. So the strategies are going to change. I think what you're going to see here in the next couple of weeks is I think you're going to see a little bit of crumbling around the Democrats. They're going to be more infighting. I saw Democrats coming over to the Senate, got their bill passed 5149. And then the Democrats in the Senate killed it. <laughs> now that anger is going to build. Now, now you're going to see senators going over that won their bills 2119, and the Democrats are going to kill it. In the meantime, we in the minority know our bills are going to lose anyway, and most of our bills are nonpartisan, which help Virginia. Those are going to pass unless they want to use that as retribution not to give Democrats, I mean, I'm sorry, Republicans, any wins at all. This could be, I, I have credited, a lot of the new senators, a lot of the new Democrat senators, even the Republicans, of actually we're, we're trying to get beyond the partisanship, get some good things done for Virginia. What I'm seeing is after crossover is the House and Senate are totally different. Democrats in the, in the Senate are not the same as Democrats in the House and vice versa on the Republican side. You're going to see a lot of conflict here in the next week or two. And they're either going to get their, their act together or it's going to crumble and fall apart. And either way, 
Governor Glenn Youngkin is going to have to get out his veto pen, get a box of those suckers, and start saying no, 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 no. And there's no way to override them. If they knew these stupid gun bills aren't going to pass, might pass the House and Senate and get vetoed by the governor, why are you doing it? Yeah. Why are you wasting hours and hours of time on the Senate and House committees and floor on something you know is not going to be passed that the governor is going to reject? What point are you trying to make? You're just trying to make political points for the next election, which is not what we're here for. Now, there is a bill. We should close with this. There is a bill where actually the Democrats in the Senate said, we're going to, we propose a bill that says, you're a gun manufacturer. Sadler gunsmith, you make a gun. You sell the gun legitimately and lawfully under the state law to a person who then uses that gun, or maybe it gets stolen or whatever it is, uses that gun in the commission of a crime that hurts somebody. Their law says, then you can sue the gun manufacturer for making the firearm. That was their bill. This is some of the crazy gun legislation that we're seeing. And I stood up on the floor and said, wait a minute makes no philosophical sense. It's not logical. This is what I had to say in defense or against the bill that they proposed, which passed, by the way, 2119. No way. Yeah, 2119. Chair recognizes the senator from Franklin. That's Senator me. Stanley. Yep. Thank you, Madam President. Speak to the measure. The senator has a floor. Ladies and gentlemen of Virginia, I present to you another gun control bill. Yet another one. And this time, we're going after first it's the 18-year-olds. Now it's the manufacturers. Because we're going to try to blame everybody except the criminal. But you know, this year we're seeing something funny. When we want to blame the criminal, when the criminal peddles that poison fentanyl that kills somebody, oh no, they had a bad life. We need to, we need to look into their bad life. Let's not give them mandatory minimums. That's bad. But I tell you, manufacturer... They made a gun that someone misused in hurting another. They get sued. So go right beyond and past the criminal misuse or the unlawful misuse by the human being and allow for the instigation of litigation, civil litigation to sue those manufacturers means as me as a trial lawyer now, I'm open for business. For I'm going to sue Ginsu. For every time somebody knifes somebody, I'm going to sue Mother Earth for the rock when Cain killed Abel. I mean, where does it end? Where does human responsibility begin, Madam President? It's not the instrument, it's the person with the instrument. I mean, where is the human self-accountability gone? Where you're responsible for your own actions. Darn you, fork. You made me fat. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we've crossed the Rubicon here. We've jumped the shark. We've done something. This is not proper to sue somebody or something that makes something when somebody misuses it against another. It's vicarious liability in the law, and it's not allowed except under special circumstances. And this isn't one I urge you to vote no on another gun bill. Thank you, Madam President. And they didn't vote no. <laughs> 2119. Go for it. 
Well, I mean, this is what we're dealing too with. Too much common sense there. Um, I know. I know. I should stop that. I think it's bad. I think it's bad. Because, again, then they get pissy with me because how dare you talk common sense? You know, like whether it's today's visitors to my, to my office that say they're gun owners. And I asked them some questions about being gun owners, and they really couldn't answer what a firearm was. So it's kind of a, a fake but this is what we're dealing with right now in the General Assembly. We're passing laws that make no sense. We're passing laws that defy common sense. We're passing laws that are not philosophically sound. We're punishing the good guy and rewarding or making excuses for the bad guy. And for me, then we're not doing the business of the Commonwealth for the people that matter. If you're passing bills for a reason, whether it's an abortion ban bill like Tim Griffin did from Bedford or a gun bill that you know is going to get vetoed by the governor. Why are you wasting our time? Let's go and find some reasons to come together. You know what? They they're worried about suicides, gun by suicide. Then let's attack the problem at the court, not punish the person after the suicide has happened. Let's go and work on mental health issues with our children, with our families. Let's have more of that money and that effort going into solving the mental health problem rather than trying to punish the good guy with the gun that so happened to be suffering from a bad circumstance or situation. Makes no sense, but they're always about after, not about before. That's what we're dealing with here in the General Assembly here at Crossover. All you can do is keep fighting. Dude, I'm doing the best I can, but, you know, it's a, it's a tough, tough road to hoe. But I wish you were here for that. Um. And uh, we just keep fighting. And I think, quite frankly, this podcast shedding some light upon a situation that otherwise people wouldn't know about and wouldn't care about. And every single person, we say this more times often than not, you need to get out there and get involved. Your rights are being affected every day in this 60-day General Assembly session in 2024. And if you're not paying attention, then you're stuck with the laws that you could have fought. When the groundswell of human beings, of citizens, stand up and say, we are going to not allow this to happen because it's our rights and our freedoms, and we're not going to let the government impinge on those rights and freedoms, then you win. When you say nothing, you lose because these kind of stupid things happen in darkness, not in the light, and we pay the price when somebody wonders all of a sudden when they go in to buy a firearm, why do I have to wait five days now? That's what's going to happen. And that's why even the upcoming elections in two years for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general are so important. To stop, and, and the House of Delegates, to stop this madness. That's what we have here at Crossover in the 2024 General Assembly session, brother. It's always fun to get together. We cover a lot of great topics. I hope people are paying attention. A lot of work for you guys and girls in the General Assembly left to do here uh, in the next 30 days. And we'll, uh, we'll come back next week and update everybody again on where things stand and Hopefully have some more news, and maybe at some point in time we'll get back into talking about a little racing, too. <laughs> racing and funny stuff. Yeah. I mean, but this is serious. Very serious. And we're at a crossroads. Look at the nation. Look at, you know, we've got candidates getting charged with criminal offenses. We've got presidents that don't even know their own name. We've got governments that, if in the, in the darkness in the back corners, are taking away your rights and you don't even know about it. This is why we fight. This is why we have this podcast. So, Hermie, thanks for taking the time coming up here in Richmond, brother. Wouldn't miss it. And uh, again, we thank our people for listening. Subscribe and 
and uh, continue to support us. Want to thank Pacematic. They always give us Absolutely. the tools and the platform. Absolutely. To do uh, what we love to do, and so I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week, but until then, this is another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic, and we'll see you next week. God bless you all. It's Conrad Thompson with SaveWithConrad.com. You've heard me bragging on the podcast for years about helping people save money on their current house, but did you know that I can help you with your next house as well? That's right. We can get you into your next house with zero down. No money down loan programs are still available, and I know it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you. And by the way, home ownership is more affordable than you might think. We routinely turn renters into homeowners, and we hear back that their new house payment is more affordable than what they were paying in rent. Why would you keep doing that? Stop throwing your money away, paying for someone else's mortgage, and start building wealth for your family. And let my family help at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit to do this. We can improve credit scores down to the 500s, and it's worth mentioning, we never say no. We say not yet, but here's how. You need a game plan to buy a house, and that's where we come in at SaveWithConrad.com. We'll ask you, what down payment do you want to make? And zero is an acceptable answer. And what monthly payment do you want? And then it's time to go shopping. Find out how easy it is and how affordable it is to become a homeowner at SaveWithConrad.com.